All right, so this is Outline of a Murder, the Smart True Crime Podcast, where we go into the why behind the crime. I am your host, Sherry Wilson, and with me is a woman who likes her wine so sweet, even sugar ants are put to shame. Mom. Well, I do like my wine, and I do like it sweet, but one of us does not, and if I had a comeback as good as yours... I would say it, but I don't. (laughs) Well, not everyone can be as witty. I wish Stephen or Mike was here because I'm sure they would think of something. Probably so. But But you do have to admit that you do like it sweet. Yeah, because I don't drink alcohol a lot. Right. So I'm venturing out with the wine. And today we've got Mm -hmm. some Stella Rosa green apple. I'd like you to go ahead and take a taste and see what you think. It's pretty good. That's not bad. It isn't my favorite, but it's pretty good. That's not bad at all. It's not okay. real strong apple. No, it's like green apple. It has just a hint. And like we said in episode one, my sister, who is a wine sw- snob, would probably be horrified. Yes. But Stella Rosa is really good, and it's won a lot of awards, and I really like that. I think black, I would give... You know what? I think I'm going to have to change my rating to 4.75, and I really like this. I may have to do the same rating. Stella Rose uh, was the black. I gave it a 4.5. The viewers can try it. It's Mm -hmm. really good, but you have to like sweet wine. I like it. I think I'm going to have to give it a 5, actually. Really? I like this better than black. No, I'm not giving it a 5. Okay. I'm going to say (gasps) 3.5. I'm telling you. Well... Would you like mine? No. Oh, you don't want it? Absolutely. I'll drink it. Okay. If you have a wine to suggest, please do so at our website, and you can contribute to our wine fund. When suburban mother Kelly Clayton was found murdered in her home, residents in her small upstate New York town were shocked. She seemed to have the perfect life, a happy marriage, and no enemies. But investigators soon found that things were not as they appeared. Here's ABC's Ryan Smith. Trying not to step on anything. Okay, clear. Let's get the hell off this. Yeah. It was a scene that seemed too horrific to be real. Yeah, there's blood all over. Cam footage showing two police officers responding to a frantic 911 call just after midnight in September of 2015. Looks like blood spatter, blood on the wall. The victim, 35-year-old Kelly Clayton, a beautiful wife and loving mother of two small children. I'll show you where stuff is. Yeah. Just watch the floor. There's blood there. Blood up there. Bludgeoned to death in her own home. Help me, help me, my wife. She's dead. Hurry. Kelly's husband, Thomas, called 911 after returning home from a poker game, finding her body on the kitchen floor. How long has she been down? I don't know. I don't know. I just got home. Okay, come on out here, man. Come on out here. I want you to have a seat. You don't need to see that anymore, okay? Outside his home, police tried to calm him. How you doing? Just take some deep breaths, okay? I know. Yeah. Just take some deep breaths and stuff. Just try to stay calm. Well, sit down, man. Come on over here and sit down. While inside, investigators begin piecing together what happened and trying to make sense of a seemingly senseless murder. Rocking a small town in upstate New York. Kelly was born and raised in Elmira, athletic and popular. She was always under the watchful eye of her older sister, Kim. She was kind of my baby. You were protective of her. Very. 
What was she like? Vivacious, bold, sassy. Her big personality and dreams, taking her from Elmira to Las Vegas, trading a teaching job for work as a cocktail waitress. She loved it out there. She loved it. But it was her attraction to a local sports star that would bring her back home. You're so mad. You just want to, you know, you want to drive because you want to fight someone. Just like when you're a little kid and you get so mad, you just want to fight. A hockey player for the semi-pro Elmira Jackals, Tom Clayton, known for fighting on the ice and flirting off of it. So he was like a bad boy. Yes. Kelly's friend, Andrea Spirock, worked at the bar where the hockey team hung out. Kelly turned heads. And was it love at first sight? I think so. I thought so. Kelly moved back home to New York, and Tom put his pro hockey dreams on ice, both giving up their big plans for something bigger. She was so happy to be marrying him. They got married and had two children. Their first, Charlie, a girl. Oh, I'm sorry. And a few years later, a boy, Cullen. They seem like the perfect family. She loved her kids. She loved her husband. She loved her life the life that she thought she had. I cannot sit here and tell you that I saw anything that would have led me to believe he was capable of what happened to my sister. He called the deceased sister and brother-in-law. I remember running to the ambulance expecting to find them working on my sister and I'm like, is my sister in there? Where's my sister? Where's my sister? My mother and I were wailing. I was throwing up on the side of the road. I can't even explain to you that feeling. The savage brutality, shocking, even to the first responders. Her face is complete, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Blood all over and looks like she was attacked in bed. This was an extremely brutal attack, a very gruesome situation. Donald Lewis, the Steuben County Sheriff's Office lead investigator, was on the scene that night. There was some sort of attack in the upstairs area. There was a hole in the sheetrock at the bottom of the stairs and a blood trail that ended at Mrs. Clayton's body in the kitchen area. She was killed with a fiberglass mall handle. Okay, so we're going to dive right into the case of Kelly Clayton. And um, this, this case is scary because I always try to have, you know, cases where there's red flags. I hunted and hunted and hunted for red flags. That's unusual. Yes. I haven't heard of this case. And I've been watching true crime for years and years, and I haven't heard of this one. Yeah, and there's a couple things that I could probably suggest for people that know someone that maybe they have an idea something's off, but really there was nothing to give her any warning whatsoever about what was uh, going to happen. Not one? Mm -mm. There has to be one. Mm -mm. No? I couldn't find a single one. And it also makes me mad, which you're going to see why later. But it's um, in the town of Caton uh, in New York. And I went to their website, and you can see from the pictures, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's a little bitty community, but, I mean, look at that. That is so, is that the so house? pretty. No, that's just one of the the uh, um, pictures of the city itself. The viewers should go on the website and look at this area. Yeah. It looks like it's an upper scale it is neighborhood it is and um and kelly it sounds like she 
I guess was maybe raised there or at least had lived there for a long time because her sister uh, lives there as well. Uh, But it's a kind of place that, you know, well, first of all, their website could use a little bit of help. Because you know, I'm mad. a website designer. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, you guys could definitely use some help. It was kind of too busy and stuff. So if anybody from Caton, New York is hearing this, please do something about your website. <laughs> but I did find some pictures of the area. It looks really pretty. It has rolling hills, lots of trees, uh, some lakes. It only has 2,100 residents. Unique housing, too. I love that house. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very small town. It's a great place to raise a family. It's part of Steuben County. And so when you research this case, that's what comes up is Caton. It's kind of like, you know, the Chris Watts case where you have something so horrific happen in a town, that town is now forever tied to that case, like Emmettville. That's it's what they're forever tied. known for. Yeah. So when you Google or when you do a search... It brings up Kelly Clayton. It brings the worst. Yeah. 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 Is it low crime? It is. It is. It's a great place to raise a family. It's gorgeous. Well, that all changed September 29th, 2015. Not long ago. Mm -mm, No. And it was a little after midnight and police received a 911 call from Thomas Clayton. So this is a husband, Kelly's husband. He had just gotten home from a poker game. He had a a weekly poker game with some friends and he found his wife's body on the kitchen floor. Okay. And it was absolutely brutal. And, and we'll get into some of the details. I don't want to go too deep because it's disturbing. It sounds familiar, but they've had a couple cases like that when someone's come from poker or from basketball. So I might be confused. I'm not sure. So this is part of the 911 call, and I want to play it, and then I want you to tell me what you think about um, the, the call itself. Bludgeoned to death in her own home. Help me, help me, my wife. Dad. Kelly's husband Thomas called. So, what'd you? Well, to me, he sounded like an actor, but I don't know if that's me because I've seen so many of these or because he really did. Let me play it again. Bludgeoned to death in her own home. So, when I hear that call, help me. Help me. Help me. So it's like, help me, help me. My wife's dead. Hurry. Like, there's not... Like you're reading a book. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't... Like, there's no emotion, no panic, no nothing in that. But there have been cases where people actually were innocent. That have no emotion. Yes. And the tunnel vision, again, like we talked about... Go straight to that. I've heard so many times they say, well, he had no emotion or she had no emotion. Yes. That in doesn't fact, always mean anything. There's one case where a man, I wish I could remember the name, but it was on uh, first degree with um, Billy Jensen and the, um, gosh, I can't remember the two ladies. It's a fabulous podcast. But they had the daughter, first degree, uh, who is it? Anyway, they had the daughter on there and her dad was arrested for killing her mother. The problem was the mother had pulled a gun and was uh, going to shoot him. He fought her and actually it went off and killed her. And I truly believe this man is innocent. And But he didn't show emotion. 
And so that mm-hmm. got the cops fixated on him. And so you're right, but it just sounds a little bit weird. It sounds a little bit fake. Okay. So we'll go with that. Whether he did or not, we'll find out at the well, end of the podcast. I know an officer detective slash, mm-hmm. and I won't tell his name, but he had said that sometimes, you know, when you focus on one person, not him, of course, but police can make evident, not make it, but um, kind of like guide it, toward. It, guide it towards that person. Yeah. yeah. Little bitty things. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you wonder, I'll watch a show and think, he did not do that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I I used to want to be a detective, but I think I would probably be one of those that would immediately be like, mm-hmm, you sound weird. You must be guilty. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I would probably yep. be the one that maybe you wouldn't be objective. You didn't cry enough. Yeah. You had no emotion. You got married two weeks later. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make you guilty. It just makes you... Suspect. Yes. Yes. Okay. So she had been bludgeoned to death, as the video said, and it was horrific. Uh, Blood was everywhere. The attack was extremely brutal. And what makes it worse is that Kelly's daughter, seven-year-old Charlie, was a witness to the crime. Oh, no. I hate when kids or anyone dies, but when kids are there. Yeah. The three-year-old son, Colin, was also home, but he did not witness the crime. He was in uh, his room. Thomas told the 911 operator that he was going to take the kids to the neighbor. He'd be right back. When officers arrived on the scene, they found Thomas lying on the ground in almost a fetal position inside the house. Remember uh, Bonnie last night that we did? That child, that young man was three. Mm -hmm. And it's affected him his whole life, and he's in his late 20s. Yeah. And that's a seven-year-old. Yes. Kim recalls, uh, now this is the sister uh, she arrived, her name is Kim Borges, I think. Uh, her and her mom arrived on the scene, but one source said it was Kim and her husband, so I couldn't verify if it was her and her husband or her and her mother. Kim said that she always kept a watchful eye on her little sister. She said we were 10 years apart, which I thought was interesting. So she was kind of my baby. I'm protective of her. Kelly was very brave to me, bold, sassy. She liked to dance. She was pretty. She could model. And I just think that she uh, that's what she wanted to do. So Kim recalls that when she arrived at the scene, Kim was asked if she knew if Kelly had dental records. That's how oh, bad her no. face. Yeah, they couldn't even recognize if it was her. And Well, if someone would have asked me that, I'd immediately thought, well, first of all, she's dead. Yes. And second, burned, unrecognizable, something. Yes. And it upset her so much that she ran to the side of the house and threw up on the side of the house. That's how much it impacted her. She said that it's impossible to describe that feeling. It seems that the damage to Kelly's face and it was so severe that they were going to need to identify her that way. So she was facing whoever assaulted her. Mm-hmm. Oh, it gets worse. Oh. Yeah, because it all becomes clear <clears throat> later how brutal it was. Now, the question is, how does a 35-year-old, beautiful, sassy mother of two end up bludgeoned to death in her kitchen in a town of 2,100 people in New York? To figure things out, we need to go back just a little bit. To- well, she... 
murdered at night or in mm-hmm. the day or mm-hmm. at night? Yeah. Her husband got home a little after 12 from the poker game. So it was some time between when he left and when he came back, she was killed. And how many hours is that? I'm not sure. I, I might get to it later in okay. my script, but okay. she d- definitely had been several hours. Yeah, I think he went either at 7 or at 8, but I'd so have that to verify that. So 7-year-old is walking around her mother, mm-hmm. who's deceased. Mm-hmm. Yes, she witnessed all of hours. it. She witnessed all of it. That's terrible. So Kelly, let me pull up some pictures of her so you can see. Um, this is her right here with her sister and her mom. So mm-hmm. there's her sister. Uh, she was absolutely gorgeous. Beautiful. These are all on the website also. Oh, she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, you can tell she probably was sassy. And there's her mm-hmm. husband, Thomas, and the two little girl. Uh, well, the little girl and then the little boy. And this was taken not long, this picture, before she was killed. And uh, mm-hmm. I think I've got some more. Yeah. So, and that's the little girl right there. Oh, that's terrible. In... Um, the research I did, she seemed like an outgoing, go-getter, let's make life great type of person. She's very positive. She was an honor roll student, cheerleader, uh, softball. She loved that. She was originally from Elmira, New York, a city of 29,000, but she left her teaching job at the age of, tw- uh, well, in her early 20s to pursue modeling in Las Vegas, Nevada. She got a job as a cocktail waitress and absolutely loved it. She was spunky, full of energy, and her sister said that one time she wore this big 30-pound feather headdress and absolutely loved it. Well, it's Las Vegas. Yes. So she was definitely an Fun. extrovert. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely had a great time. And uh, it appears in 2005... Kelly, Kim, and their mom uh, went to a hockey game where she met Thomas Clayton, a semi-pro hockey player for the Elmira Jackals, who is also from upstate New York, and he played for Kelly's hometown team. Oh, he was a hockey player. Yes, yes. She would be attracted to that. Yes, and she was. She was smitten. She uh, caught him, you know, playing, and she's like, I like this guy. And uh, she moved back home two years later to Elmira, where the two were married, and eventually they had the two children, and she was always at his games cheering him on. So they probably dated about two years. Probably, yeah. It's Mm -hmm. not like a normal courtship, Mm -hmm. a normal, you know, time. Like we talked about in episode one, if it goes too fast, you know, there might be some red flags there. Well, I don't know if it's normal these days. True. But for them, it was was a very normal courtship. They made a very handsome couple, as you Mm -hmm. can see. Mm -hmm. Thomas Clayton uh, is well-built with dark hair. He was sometimes clean-shaven. Sometimes he had a shadow or a full beard. He just, quite frankly, looked good no matter what. He's a very handsome man. He played hockey for four seasons. He did want to go pro, but he didn't. Could he have? I don't if he know. he was good enough. I'm not sure because he eventually ended up retiring. So it makes me wonder if he just didn't you know, have the skill that was needed to go professional. Right, right. He was known for fighting on the ice and flirting off of it. Oh, no. Yes. So there was some flirting there, 
And uh, we'll get into maybe that might be a possible red flag later in this case, but it, it was just so innocent looking. She didn't see it. He was scrappy, tough, and dead set on winning. One person said that he would do whatever it took to win. Now, that to me is a red flag, actually. Because ego. Yes, because I I like competition, my personality. I like competition. I like winning, but not at someone else's expense. Mm-hmm. And just being dead set on winning, uh, it just seems like sometimes people that are involved in cases like these, especially mm-hmm. intimate partner homicide, it just seems that they're very egotistical, narcissistic at times, mm-hmm. Um, sometimes psychopathic, you know, low empathy, but they're extremely competitive. Like when they start having a rough time in marriage, it's no longer like, let's work this out. It's I'm going to win. And if you don't let me, I'm going to make you pay for it. Right. Does that make sense? It does. I knew somebody that, um, winning was so important. Candy crush with a child had to win. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm like, wow. Yes. I mean, let the kid win. But I used to be like that too. You would, on your son, you would not let him. They need to figure out, you know, they don't always win. Not everybody gets a trophy. Well, not when they're three or four. No, he was like six. Well, six. Oh, my God. My poor grandson. (laughs) Oh. Now, Kelly's sister, Kim, said that people were in awe of him because he was, quote, cute, and he was an instigator, and he would start fights, which makes sense. You know, hockey is a very physical game, so again, that probably wasn't a red flag. So so he starts it outside of the hockey ring? Uh, No, it seems like he did regulate it to the hockey ring. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I think they all fight, don't they? Yes, that's part of it, it seems. But on the outside, after the hockey, he, that'd be a flag. Yeah. I'm just trying to find a flag because you said you didn't see any. I didn't. So I'm grasping. Yeah, yes, you are grasping for flags. Yes. But so far, there's no flags. Okay. Mm-hmm. The ones you're grasping for are imaginary. Yeah. <laughs> they are. So far. <laughs> he was very affectionate and loving toward Kelly, according to friends and family. That's In good. In fact, Kim asked Kelly... Uh, at one time, because again, he treated her very well, but the flirting bothered her, you know, as a big sister, she'd be like, you know, this flirting kind of bothers me. And she asked, you know, are you sure he's not sleeping around because he flirted so much? And Kelly assured her that he was all talk and he would never do that to her. She was very happily married. She was very happily married, happy with her children, all that. And he appeared to be. Yes. Yeah. He was very attentive. After retiring, he started Paul Davis Emergency Services of the Southern Tier, which was basically a a fire and water damage uh, restoration franchise. He later became a partner in SurfPro. Oh. Yeah. Similar franchise. Yeah. And that was with his friend, Brian Lang. Kelly worked at the Woodhouse Stadium Grill in Corning, which wasn't very far away from where they lived in Caton. And they were just basically this busy family of uh, four. And you said her family's from there. Yes, so they from were that close area. By. Elmira. And mm-hmm. his? Was his there? I don't know. I think I think he was, yeah, I think he was raised in upstate New York as well. But I don't think it was the same town. Okay. So family, dynamic, in-laws. Everything's the whole family, great. Everybody's there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
every Monday night, Thomas played poker with some friends. He left his home around 7.30. He drove 10 minutes to his poker game. And Kelly's last text was to a friend at 10.21. Clayton was at the game until 12.20 a.m. He got home around 12.30. He placed a 911 call at 12.34. Which I could see that. Because he goes in... Everything's probably dark, or maybe he sees that something's a little bit off, which is a very surreal feeling. Like, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, we had come home from vacation, and our house had been broken into, and the TV was missing, and the VCR, and all that, and it was, it felt like an invasion, like you didn't feel safe anymore in your home, but it was surreal, like your brain couldn't, like, wait, where's the TV? You know, like it was just oh, very... Oh, exactly. I know exactly. And it felt weird, you know. And so that's probably... Like, like, are you seeing what you're seeing? And not only that, but I think violence is also felt. It's not just seen. Oh, I do too. You know, like just the atmosphere. There's violence that's occurred. And so like, it probably feels weird. Yeah, like you feel when you feel in danger. Yeah. Or you get a vibe from someone. Yes. Yes, yes. I agree. Donald Lewis, an investigator with the Steuben County uh, Sheriff's Office, said that it was, quote, an extremely brutal attack, a very gruesome situation. It appears that the attack started in her bedroom where Kelly was sleeping. Someone struck her twice with a fiberglass maul, which is like a sledgehammer. Oh. Yeah. Kelly fought him off. And ran out of the room in an attempt to protect her children. She so do ran- we know yet if the doors were unlocked, if there's alarm system? Anything? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's later on in my notes. Okay. She first ran down the hall to her daughter's room because I, she was probably wanting to go and protect them. Instinct. She knocked a picture off of the... Um, wall in the process but then she turned back and I think she probably realized that she was leading the killer to her kids so she turned around the other way which is very very sad Uh, she fell down the stairs because you know she's been hit in the head right she fell down the stairs and then she smashed Mm -hmm. into the wall on the landing and she left a hole in the sheetrock so that that's pretty oh that's a hard yeah At the bottom of the stairs, along with a blood trail that went all the way down. Police said that blood was everywhere from the bedroom, down the hall, and into the dining room. And finally, the kitchen where she just could not run anymore. She ran out of steam. The assailant caught up with her in the kitchen. He beat her in the head and face, killing her. The children were not hurt. Nothing was stolen. Again, that's a telltale. You know, if there's nothing stolen, you know the only purpose for that intruder was to kill whoever he went in there or she went in there to kill. And we're not saying it's the husband, right. but it was and someone it that knew actually. it had to be. Yeah, it was a totally different man. Uh, so obviously they knew Kelly was a target because the kids were alive. Kelly was the only one that was dead. There was no sexual assault. So either nothing taken. Yeah, nothing taken. So either he didn't know the kids would be there and he didn't want to do a sexual assault with the kids or that was not the reason he was there. Uh, It was solely to kill her. So we've got a stranger on stranger killing at this point because they pretty much know it wasn't Thomas because all of his friends told them he was with us during the poker game. And I wouldn't think it was him either. Because if he was a good father and there was no signs, he would not hire someone or even murder his wife with his kids there. I wouldn't think. Right. 
Yes, you would not think that would be the case. However, you know, a lot of the true crime we've watched, they will sometimes do that. BTK killed killed the kids. children and moms in front of their kids. So yeah. the uh, scene shocked everyone, even the first responders. So remember, it's a small town, 2,100 people. They go in here. But here's what's interesting. The first responders said it looked like a domestic violence scene. Why do you say that? Well, just... Number one, all the blood, how, I guess, far the crime scene traveled through the house. But it just, to them, it looked like that. But if someone broke in, they would chase you because the object is to kill you. And I wondered if maybe it looked more like a domestic violence scene because let's say that you're the killer. You go into the house and you think you're going to have an easy target. He hit her so hard, it should have killed her in her room. But she fought back, right? Because she's a mama, so she's going to take care of her babies. For some killers, it's too much trouble. And they would flee. They leave. Yeah, you're right. That's but true. he didn't. And so I wondered if maybe that's why they thought it looked like a domestic violence. Or you wouldn't leave if you didn't have a mask on. True. Or covered your face. True. Because you think, oh, it's going to take... One hit, she'll be gone, too, at the most. Right. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. And then what makes it worse is Charlie, Kelly's seven-year-old daughter, told the police that there was a robber in their house. She saw her mother being viciously attacked, and her mother told her to run. Isn't that sad? That's very sad. She said that, quote, a man was hurting mommy and kept hitting her with a pipe thingy. There was blood even on her, her door. The little girl's door. She said, I saw the robber hitting her until she was on the ground. She was sort of suffering, and then I hugged her leg. Oh, that's terrible. So she hugged her, and then she ran back upstairs, the little girl, to check on the younger brother. She- it's probably not, but I was thinking back to what we said about the robbery. In this case, it took so long, and she put up with such a fight. He may not have wanted to, and the kids were up, or mm-hmm. the oldest, mm-hmm. to grab anything if it was a robbery. That's true, because mm-hmm. now you've got the kids. Yes, you just get out the of there. The whole thing is so, not what yeah. you expected. No, yeah. I, I don't know about this case, but I'm just saying that that I could be. I can see that. That's a mm-hmm. good point. Mm-hmm. She uh, checked on the, the younger brother, and she told police what the assailant was wearing, and that he was the size of my dad, and that his eyes were the same. Oh, my. But they know it wasn't him. He was at the poker poker. game. Sheriff Jim. How many many was playing poker? How many of them? Oh, I don't remember. I know it was several. It was a husband and a wife, him, and I think maybe two or three more people. Like a typical. It was a typical size. By the way. Yes. I was very good at poker. Well, by the way. When I was younger. So was I, and I still am. Ah. Well. We may have to get the cards out. I don't even remember how to play it now. Oh, well, there. There you go. (laughs) Sheriff Jim Allard spoke to Charlie soon after the murder, and he told 2020 everything was just like Daddy. That's what she kept saying. Every question I asked her related back to Daddy. And then she looks at me. She goes, but it couldn't have been Daddy because who would take care of us? Do you think his, is he credible? Who was this? This was a sheriff. sheriff? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, he would. Why would he lie? Right. I mean, right. Well, 
Well, I mean, they do. They, but right. I mean, some I of love them, not law all enforcement, of them. but I mean, yes. Yeah. So, oh. And an eyewitness, Tom and Kelly Clayton's seven-year-old daughter, Charlie. She told me that a man was hurting mommy, and she kept saying he did this and he did that, and, and so finally I said, how do you know it's a he? And she said, because his eyes look just like daddy's. And that was a chilling moment for me. A few hours later, Definitely. Sheriff Jim Allard brings Charlie here. You're looking at a different kind of interrogation room. Still small, but soft seating, and on the table, toys. Well, Charlie, do you know why we brought you here today? Okay, we're gonna have to talk a little bit about last night, okay? In this video, 2020 obtained from authorities after it was played in open court, Charlie describes to investigators what she saw. Does you know what the truth and a lie is? What's the truth? It means that it really happened when a lie's death did happen. Right, right, very good. So what happens if you tell a lie? <laughs> Establishing that the child knows right from wrong, knows the difference between a truth and a lie, knows that there's consequences to not telling the truth. Then, in a matter-of-fact manner, still unaware her mom has died, she offers details of the attack. In the middle of the night, this guy came and started hitting my mom with, like, this pipe thingy. Can you tell me more about that? Um, there was blood anywhere. On my door, on the floor, not on the carpet, though. What did you hear? Like, my mom ran to the door screaming, Charlie, 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 Charlie. Run, Charlie, run. Those were the last words she heard from her mother. Do you know what I found interesting? If you looked at Charlie, not, not that it means anything at all, but she was sitting there, leaned over, like she was telling you about a movie she yes. saw on TV. Yes. And a lot of the kids we see, they're fidgety. They draw pictures. They don't want to talk about it. And she mm -hmm. just... She was, to me, very articulate. Very brave. And calm. Yeah, she was calm. Of course, she didn't know her mom was gone Oh. And at that time. And I'm sure being a child, how do you even process right. or start to process right. it? But she is definitely brave. Mm -hmm. She's very articulate. And she really did kind of get the police wondering, okay, was the husband involved? I think the reason she said he had eyes like my dad's is I think that, you know, they look like man eyes. Like, or the color. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was like their dad's eyes. I think just they're manly or mm -hmm. like you said, the color or maybe the shape was mm -hmm. similar. Mm -hmm. Later, they discovered that uh, Charlie ran behind her mother while she was being attacked. Oh. And she witnessed the entire um, murder. She was screaming for her mom, and Kelly was screaming for her to run. Uh, Sheriff Lewis said that there were lots of red flags from the beginning that pointed to Thomas, which will break down three of those. The first one, there were no signs of forced entry, entry or robbery. Even though Thomas was at a poker game and his GPS placed him there, police could tell that Kelly did not let her killer in because you know she was asleep. That's where the attack started. But not that I'm siding with anybody, mm -hmm. but there are times people have left windows open, screen doors open. I mean, it could be anything. Just because they get in doesn't mean well here's what they found out though so oh. there were no broken windows no forced open doors the killer had to have a key 
because it was locked. Oh. Mm -hmm. But the police, what they did discover is that the garage door was unlocked. Uh, and opening that did require a key because they always locked the garage door. So what that means is a killer went, from what they could tell, went through the garage door, which they always, always locked. And they they could have forgot when he left. Maybe. Maybe. The second one was while at the poker game, Thomas used his phone several times to check social media. But at 10.53, Thomas asked to borrow the host's wife's phone to make a call instead of using his own phone. That's sort of odd. Mm-hmm. He said that he was calling a worker and he claimed to have left his phone in the truck. So he went into the adjacent hallway, placed a call to a man named Michael Beard. We'll get into that later. They engaged in a hushed conversation. Then Thomas deleted the call before returning it. But the lady knew he had his phone because she had been watching. Yes. You know, I remember this case now. Uh Uh-huh. And then number three, he wasn't in the game that night. Like, he was usually spunky, a better player, but not that night, according to the host. However, when police came to interview the host, which were Gregory and Linda Miller, they told the police there was no way Tom did it. They were looking at the wrong guy. There was no way. Well, you said there were no red flags. No red flags. There is a lot now. He was very attentive, very good husband, very good father. And they're like, there is no way you're barking up the wrong tree. Mm -hmm. However, they found even more red flags later that no one saw. A year before his wife's murder, Thomas Clayton doubled his wife's life insurance policy. Another red flag. Yes. That is so important. You know, I've been married It'll be 30 years in March. I would never suspect Mike of ever killing me. No. But I remember one time we had life insurance. I'm all suspicious. Hmm. You know, is mine worth more than yours? You know, like, yeah, check but, that stuff out. But sometimes you don't know. There's a lot of cases where the husband's forged the signature. Because yes. back in the day when I had life insurance... You didn't have to have the spouse there nope. to sign. You could take the papers home and have them sign. Yeah. So sometimes you don't know. Yeah. And who thinks of life insurance? Yeah. When there's no red flag. And I think that life insurance salespeople, mm-hmm. they, if a husband comes in to double the wife's insurance, I or if a wife comes in to mm-hmm. double the husband's or the children, whatever, I think that would warrant a phone call to the spouse, right? The I other spouse so. to say, "Hey, did you give permission to double the insurance policy?" Because that's important. If the other spouse did not give permission, then something's weird. There's more safeguards now, I think. I think now you have to have the person there to sign. Like okay. you did the bank. Cuz even bank, you could close your spouse's this bank account. This was 2015 though. Oh. Like I don't it wasn't know. that I mean, it it's six years, though, I guess. So, um, but well, still, still, I think that that would be something that would be very beneficial if insurance agents would notify the other party. I do, too. The other thing is he was having numerous affairs. I'm not surprised at that. He wanted out of the marriage, but he didn't think divorce was an option because Kelly would, quote, take everything from me. Here's what's frustrating about this is it was a tiny, tiny town. 
No one knew about the affairs. Give me a break, which we'll get someone into in knew. a second. Probably yeah, his friends. Someone had to know. And and what what? So is he saying she'll take everything like probably money? Yep, money and the property. House. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm pretty positive it probably didn't include the kids because he's basically a poop bird yeah he is and he sounds very greedy and remember winning is everything child support yeah yeah and then phone records shows a lot of calls and texts between thomas and the michael beard guy and not just during the poker game which roused their suspicion against michael beard but also before that so they decided to go ahead and pick up michael for questioning you know what's strange though i'm thinking she saw him check his media, social media. But why? If you're going to call home or check on someone, you wouldn't do it in somebody's bedroom where their phone was and then whisper. You'd be yeah. Like, hey, how's the kids? Or, I mean, that doesn't even make sense. Because you said he was checking home, right? Checking on. on- well, no, he was just checking his social media. He wasn't checking well, I mean, on home. Well, I mean, when he went in and used the, the uh, host's phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was calling home to check. Mm-mm. No, he called oh. Michael Beard. Well, I know that reality, but, I mean, who did he say he was calling? Uh, let's see. Did you say? You might not have said. Yes. He said he was calling a worker and claimed to have left his phone in his truck. So huh. he, he said he was calling a worker. And it was Michael Beard. That's just something else. That's a good choice of words, right? Worker. Mm Mm-hmm. Michael Beard was a former employee of one of Thomas's companies, and he lived in one of the apartments that Thomas and Kelly owned. It appears that both Thomas and Kelly used the extra money they'd earned from their two jobs to buy multi-unit properties to rent out. Beard knew Thomas since his early days when he was a hockey player, so there was definitely some history. But at the time of the murder, he had been fired by Brian. Remember, that was Thomas's business partner. Uh, and he was, uh, and then Thomas was in the process of evicting him at the time of the murder. Some sources say that he gave him a lot of leniency, which people really questioned that. Well, they, they were friends; they worked together. Well, it time. wasn't like they were actually friends, though. And in, in they knew each other, but it didn't sound like they were really like really good friends. But they, everybody said they had this weird relationship. Wonder why he was fired? Do you know? Violent outbursts or. No, no violent outbursts, but he basically didn't want to work. And this is him right here, uh, Michael Beard. He looks like a pretty large guy, Could too. Could you imagine waking up to that? No. Running from your for your life? No. There's no way you'd win. Molly, Kim's daughter, which, remember, that's uh, Kelly's sister, uh, so that would be the niece, worked for him and Brian at ServPro. When questioned by the police, she mentioned Michael Beard and how he'd been fired for stealing from work sites, and he wasn't happy about it. At this point, they're not sure what's going on, but they wonder if Beard, you know, could be related to the crime. He had an extensive rap sheet. He'd been charged with murdering his father in the past. But yet he's out. He was acquitted. Amongst people. Mm -hmm. Oh, he was acquitted. He was acquitted. Police interview him, and they discover uh, he has an alibi where he's spotted on camera buying beer. His girlfriend said that she was with him all night long, except when he went to buy the beer.
Molly, Kim's daughter, which is Kelly's sister, and Thomas's niece, worked for him and Brian. When questioned by the police, she mentioned Michael Beard and how he had been fired for stealing from work sites after, well, and he wasn't happy about it, sorry. At this point, they're not even sure what's going on as far as the police, but they wonder if Beard could somehow be tied to the crime. He had a criminal, an extensive criminal rap sheet. He had been charged with murdering his father in the past, but he was acquitted. So he was acquitted. Yeah. So we can't hold that against him. But well, because sometimes you can go on trial for murder now and found guilty and you get out in less time than... Yes, which is very yeah. frustrating. And it's and getting then worse. And then they murder other people. Yes. Okay, so he was acquitted for that. Police interview, uh, and they discovered that he does have an alibi where he spotted on camera buying beer. And his girlfriend was with him all night, except for when he was buying beer. After two days, the case stalls. They don't what know do th- where okay, to sorry. turn. What do you think about people ha- uh, having alibis confirmed or established with loved ones? That is a really good question because... I could go either way. I think I would be like police where it's like, uh-huh, you know, right. this is a spouse, this is the girlfriend, this is a mom. But there's also other cases where it's like, you know, this person is innocent and you can see the frustration on like the parents' faces or the wife's face. Like this is impossible. This person was with me. So I've seen both where you know the person was innocent. They didn't do it because they found the person that did it later. And the family members were trying to tell them they were at the party the whole time or they were with us. We watched this movie together on the couch. Like you can see the frustration of the family members because they know the police don't believe them because they're just family. But to flip the coin, you've also seen people that you've watched and heard about that are as guilty as sin. And mm-hmm. parents especially, it's heartbreaking. I'm not mocking any parents. They swear they're innocent. Yes. Their baby couldn't do that when yes. you know they're they cold-blooded killers. Yeah. So, so you know. I, to me, let's say that you have, I think the most frustrating one was where it was like a family gathering. And everybody there, cousins, uncles, aunts, the parents were like, they did not leave. They all knew they were there, and there were no cell phone records to show that they weren't not in that place, right? Mm -hmm. So it was really frustrating because this person ended up being innocent, but the police would not believe he served time he should not have served. Later, they found the actual killer. So I... I could see how I would feel absolutely helpless if I knew my loved one never left my sight, but the police didn't believe me. It'd well, be a tough I re- one. I remember a case, it's been a while, that that he was playing basketball with his buddies, mm-hmm. playing it. Like he had six people say, but yet he was still convicted. Yes. I remember that case of his wife's murder. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's really... It's true. I think it could go either way. And I see why police don't necessarily buy what the family's saying. But I also think, you know, if you've got a whole bunch of people like, look, this person didn't leave, maybe look somewhere else. Yeah, it's like putting a a nail into a a square peg. Mm -hmm. That's not the same, but you know what I mean. I just love how your clock 
keeps playing during our podcast. I was trying to talk loud so you, you wouldn't right. hear it. But. Okay. <laughs> the, it, everything stalls uh, for about two days. And then a woman came in and let the police know that she'd been having an affair with Thomas. She told him that he uh, complained about Kelly constantly. I'm then, not surprised about the affair. Yeah, I'm not either. Then Brian, his business partner, called the police telling them what he had found. It appears that Thomas had called Brian and told him that his dad was coming to pick up a bag out of a pickup that was on the property. I wonder if it was his dad really going to pick it up or was it Beard? I think Since it, he was in the I pickup. think it was the dad. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You'd even throw your dad under oh, yeah. the bus. He's a poop bird. Brian thought that was kind of strange. You know, he's like, well, why don't you come? Like, this is a little bit weird. So he goes to the truck. Because remember, Kelly's been killed, right? So he's like, that's a little bit of a strange behavior. He found the bag, and in it was $100,000 and a passport. Police go back to Beard's girlfriend at this point, and they find out that he was actually gone from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m., she also mentioned that he had told her that Clayton had offered to pay him $10,000 to burn the house down with his wife in it, but she didn't think he was serious, so they questioned Beard again, and he confessed. When police uh, questioned him, he confessed that Clayton offered him $10,000 to kill his wife. He later tried to retract it, especially during the trial. Well, he's, lawyers have you do that, though. And he's trying to distance himself yes, from the crime? yes. He uh, said that he was hired to burn the house down. He had nothing to do with the murder, of course. Uh, he said that when he arrived to burn the house down, he found Kelly instead, and he ran. Well, the evidence shows that she was asleep. Right. And not only that, but he'd already told the police where to find the murder weapon, the house keys, and the clothes that he wore the night that his DNA was also on them. So they matched uh, also the description little Charlie had given to the police. So they knew he was lying later on, uh, especially during the trial. He was charged with first-degree murder and Thomas with first- and second-degree murder. As we discussed earlier. Before our um, equipment failed. The first-degree murder and second, we're wondering if that's because, I think it is, because if the jury doesn't have enough for first degree, he could they be can acquitted. go to, like the Casey Anthony. Yes. So they wanted to have that other one to where maybe they could go down yeah. to second degree. I, I think that's why. It makes sense. If anybody knows, let us know. Later, police found out from Beard he was only supposed to knock Kelly out and burn the house down with her in it. Thomas told him that the kids wouldn't be there. And I think he knew they were there. Absolutely, he knew. And when Michael heard the daughter screaming, he had second thoughts. He couldn't burn the house down. So I guess a killer with a conscience. Well, yeah, so he thought he'd hit her in the face a hundred times and kill her that way. Yeah, so beat her. So he was going to burn the house down. I guess... Thomas thought the kids would be asleep. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you know he knew the kids were there. Yes, he did. Because he came home, got ready to go to the poker game. The kids yes. are there. I mean, come on. So he thinks at this point they're probably asleep. Beard won't know that they're there. Right. So he's going to knock Kelly out, start the fire, right? And then no one would know any different because everybody would die in the fire. I wonder if Beard had gloves on or if he uh, had any marks on him. I don't know. If she put up a fight. DNA somewhere, I would think. But remember, when we did the miniseries on family annihilators, Thomas Clayton's a family annihilator. Yeah, definitely. So he didn't want any kids to take care of. 
He didn't, you know, he wanted all the money. You know, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Well, people like him, it's all his. Yes. You know, you said he was competitive. It's his money, his home, there his everything. There had to be signs that Kelly missed. You know, it's like when we think back to earlier in the podcast where winning was everything mm-hmm. for him, that he would pick fights on, you know, and at first we're like, well, it's hockey. But to me, it's a sign. Like he maybe never was physically violent, but there had to be narcissism somewhere, which we're going to get into a little bit of that at the end to help people. But she was very happy. She was. And, you know, women tend to tell their girlfriends, their best girlfriend, everything. And none of her nothing, friends, yeah. none of her family, nobody. Like, at the beginning, we talked about her sister was like, are you sure he's he not having so. affairs because he flirted so much? So that's different than... You know, I'm unhappy. And I'm so get was a divorce. she such a confident woman that the flirting didn't bother her? See, to me, that would bother me. I would not would want Mike flirting with anybody. Well, right. And he wouldn't want me to flirt with anybody either. Right, right. It, it depends on her definition of flirting. Yeah, maybe she, she makes didn't it care. sound like it was quite a bit of flirting. It was a lot. I mean, too much. Yes, so, to get yeah, the sister's suspicions up. Bother. Later, um, you know they figure out that basically Thomas wanted both the wife and the kids dead. Now, here's the evidence, and it's a little bit confusing, but I'll break it down. So several women testified at trial that they were having sex with Clayton while he and Kelly were married. One was only 15. Oh, boy. He often spoke bad about Kelly, saying that she was lazy and a bitch. He didn't really see Kelly as someone... Well, I didn't see Kelly as someone that was lazy. Like she, I mean, she worked a job. Took care of kids. Took care of the kids. They had their properties that they would get ready to rent. You know, like that just doesn't seem. that's lazy to him. You know what I really wondered if it was? What? Jealousy? Well, I have found men like him in these cases have a high, high, high demand for sex. It makes me wonder if she was just not willing to have so, sex with him as much. But that come because out. she's a mom, she's got the job. I mean, she probably maybe had a, a healthy sex life with him. But what? Because they seem like several times a day. A lot of these men. That's true. And so maybe she's like, man, I can't keep up with you. And he termed it as lazy. I don't know. You know what I think? This is what I think. I think. She was so above him in her energy. You said he was competitive. Mm, Took care of the kids. Mm-hmm. He, she went beyond what he yeah. was. You know what yeah. I mean? Yes. Maybe he was jealous. Yeah. Well, and then the house didn't look bad either. Like It looked no. like it was well taken care of it in did. the crime scenes. It did. Uh, now here's the thing. Um, he had told all the women, it seemed like he couldn't quit talking bad about her, that he couldn't divorce her because she would take everything. And then a few weeks after increasing Kelly's life insurance from 500 K to 1 million, he told Kelly's niece, this is going to be the last Christmas with me around and us being together as a family, which is really weird. That's like a he, weird thing to yeah. tell a niece, unless she had a crush on her. Cause it's not his niece. It's Kelly's niece. How old was she? Did you say? No, I don't know how old she was, but she was obviously young, and that was awfully stupid. I mean, how could he guarantee that she wouldn't go tell Kelly, and then why didn't she? And it was confirmed that that was exactly what he said? Yeah. Or did she tell her, but Kelly's like, he's just playing around. You know, I just... But why would you say it? That's like, you may as well confess. Right. 
Right. It was really weird. So here's the thing. He was always going to have someone that he was sleeping with, right? Because he had several women. If you're someone that's sleeping with someone else's spouse and they do nothing but complain about their spouse, they've increased the life insurance policy, they say divorce is not an option, you need to get on the phone and call the spouse. And like you said, before we had the technical difficulty, that Kelly may not even even believe, but I can guarantee you if someone calls and says they're sleeping with my husband, I'm definitely going to be on the lookout. I'm going to follow oh, yeah. him. You may not surveil. believe it, but you will you will be cautious. Yes. And, and the life insurance, like we discussed, uh, back in the day, like I said, you didn't have to have the spouse there to sign. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it is now, but... I mean, who thinks of that? I wouldn't think anybody I know would say, I'm going to check my life insurance. Right. That's not just something you think of. No. Yeah. I mean. And that's what makes this case so scary because there were just not your usual red flags. And what really makes me mad about this case is, number one, he wanted his kids killed and he was willing to have them witness this at the very least. What's interesting, he had a lot of red flags after the murder after yeah and before a little bit but not in the marriage itself. and no one said How long anything were they married mm, well she was little you know she was elementary school so maybe eight to ten years if that i'm not sure beard was fired 12 days before kelly's murder making it impossible for him to pay his rent but clayton referred him to different employers and bought him a bicycle they also had frequent phone contact beard was familiar with the clayton home because on september 21st the cell phone data shows that both beard and clayton went to the clayton home for a possible walkthrough some reports said that he sometimes did work around the house but they're not sure if he was ever inside before then Six days before the murder, someone from Clayton's company called the storage facility next door and asked if it was asked if the company's property was within range of the surveillance cameras. The parking lot was in range. How dumb. And footage the night of the murder was captured and played for the jury at trial. You that, know, that is I, weird. I'm gonna take tips from this. So if I want to ever kill anybody or do a crime, I'm gonna call all the buildings around there. <laughs> Because that's something everybody does. That's not suspicious at all. What idiots. Yeah, I would want to know, too. Well, he also called uh, an inn in Elmira that's next to, um, you know, or close to the crime scene. Of course he did. To see if there were surveillance cameras outside that as well. The acquaintance that he called wasn't aware of any, but he said he'd check on it and claims like, oh, no, don't worry about it. You may as well go the whole way. Just ask. Don't say, don't worry about it. That's not suspicious. Or maybe you could drive by in someone else's car and see if they're... I don't know. With all That'd he be did, just as dumb, too. He should have just put on a glow-in-the-dark suit with all the things that the guy did. How stupid, I swear. Well, okay, I thought maybe it was tied to the vehicle, though. So on the night of the murder, Clayton drove one of the company's trucks to the par- poker game instead of his own. Surveillance shows Clayton in a company truck and someone else in a maroon truck leaving the parking lot. Cell phone data showed both Clayton and Beard were at the parking lot at the same time. So we know Clayton was in the company truck. Beard was in the maroon truck that was Thomas Clayton's. So if you wanted to frame someone for stealing your truck. Make sure you're there on the scene with them. Why would you be at the same place? Right. You may as well drive the truck. 
I mean, that's just so stupid. So at first, I thought maybe he wanted Michael Beard on the camera so he could say, you know, that he stole his truck. He He probably went to, you know, kill his wife afterwards, which we talked about that. There is no, I cannot think of a single crime where anyone stole someone's vehicle and then drove to their house and killed their spouse. Like, I can't think of a single one. If anyone finds one, let us know. I don't know this. Well, wait, one. you forgot something. Not only did you steal a truck to go commit the murder of the person you stole the truck from, why would you steal the truck since you're at the murder house? And, but first, before you kill that person, you're going to go meet the spouse to get the keys and borrow the pickup and visit, and then Maybe go and kill. A good idea before you are um, before you hire anyone to kill anyone. Maybe you should make sure that the hired killer has a vehicle. Right, he had a bike, new bike. Seriously, criminals are not smart. They're lucky. But this is dumb. This is really dumb. It's really dumb. So obviously, my assumption is that he was wanting to get Michael Beard on surveillance so he could say he stole the vehicle is just, that's too far-fetched. I think he wanted the truck for the GPS because remember, he used that later. Uh, Beard picked up a witness. That's always smart, too, when you're going to commit a murder in that maroon truck and drove to the outskirts of Corning before pulling the truck over to the side of the road. The witness, or lookout, stayed in the truck while Beard took something out of the bed of the truck. He walked off. He returned about 15 minutes later, breathless, sweating, and carrying a stick. Beard heads back to Elmira with the lookout and stopped on the way and threw the stick off the side of the road. A little bit further down, they came to a bridge near water. He slowed the truck while he threw a bag of clothes into the water. Surveillance then shows the truck returning to the company's parking lot at 12.55 a.m. And then a few minutes later, someone rode off on a bicycle. He's a genius. It's, yeah. I mean, I would throw a murder weapon right there on the side too and don't forget so the someone witness could find it and oh yeah saw the you do it wouldn't you bury it hide it put it in a trash can no you're gonna have an audience and you're gonna do it on the side oh you're killing me later clayton told investigators well you know where i am because my vehicle had gps on it so i'm thinking probably his personal truck did not so he wanted to make sure that everybody knew he was at the poker game a few weeks later, investigators found the bag in a swampy area about 40 feet from the inn in Elmira that someone had, again, called to see if it had surveillance cameras. And then the state summarized that the bicycle and the $10,000 was murder for hire and that Clayton provided the logistical support needed to carry out the crime, plus plenty of evidence was around those th- two things to convict and uphold the conviction on subsequent appeals. Even more telling was the fact that after Beard bought some beer, he turned off his cell phone during Kelly's murder and then turned it back on shortly after because that wouldn't be suspicious at all. No, no. Especially if you've had your phone on your whole life and then during the murder you turn it off. and turn. That's what I do. Oh, yeah, yeah. I always like to make sure I turn it off before I commit criminal activities. Police believe the Clayton call made at 10.53 using Linda Miller's phone was a trigger to the murder. Both Beard and Clayton were convicted. They're serving life sentences without any possibility of parole. At sentencing, little Charlie wrote a letter to the court, which was read out loud and said, quote, I feel my dad is a coward because he asked Michael Beard to kill my mom. How old is she now? I don't know. I just wonder what she's doing in life, the 
the problems or no mm-hmm. problems. And Yeah. So what I want to do is I want to finish this episode because, again, we want to help people recognize right. stuff like this. So I teach people lie detection, and you're about to hear a very, very common tactic, okay? So this is part of the testimony, and Thomas is asked about the phone call he made at 1053. So he says, where were you on the night of, you know, the right. murder. He said, at a poker game with my friends at Miller's house. Did you make any poker or poker? Did you make any calls while you're at the game? I don't believe my phone records would show any calls made by me that night. Which is a very odd thing to say. This is what's called semantics. When you ask a yes or no question, did you make any calls? If the person cannot say yes or no, and they use semantics like that, like Ted Bundy did that. Like yeah. you can see in the court, he would he would play with words. Um, if they can't say yes or no, and they go well, or they go into this type of language, you know there's deception there. So the most famous case I can think of is Bill Clinton. He gets on TV, right? And he says, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Monica Lewinsky, right? Right. If you look, if you watch his depositions, which you can find on YouTube, they ask, did you ever have sex or sexual relations with Monica Lewinsky? He's like, well, please define sex. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I remember that. Each time he talked, it was less, 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 and finally, yes. So it's like, okay, do you not know what sex means? But, not defending him because everyone knows what he did, but... um, People that have affairs, because I have heard it before, it, if unless it's not the sexual act, the actual They'll act, dismiss it they as think sex. it's not an affair. Yes. Yeah. So this is semantics. He's going mm-hmm. to his phone records when everybody knows he made a phone call. So if he would have said no, he'd be in a lie because and, of the testimony of the Millers. Yes. Right. But if he said yes, then everybody knows he called the killer. You know, so he was in a, between a rock and a hard place. Now, here's testimony from Linda Miller. It's the one that he used her phone. Thomas was at your home playing cards that night. He was. It was typical. They played every Monday night. Did anything out of the ordinary happen during the game? Not really, except Thomas asked to use my phone. Did you let him? Of course. Why was that out of the ordinary? Well, I had seen him check his iPhone just a few minutes before he asked me to use the phone. Who did he call? My records indicated that he called Michael Beard. He worked with Thomas. So she didn't know, but then there's records that show who he called. And then finally, a testimony from Michael Beard. Were you responsible for the death of Kelly Clayton? Partly, but I had no choice. Thomas put me in a bad way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you had no choice to go beat somebody's head in. With their kids there. Yeah. What did you do on the night of Kelly's death? Early in, earlier in the evening, I uh, stopped to pick up my friend Mark Blanford. He didn't know nothing about nothing except he was going to be a lookout. I pulled up close to the Clayton home around midnight, and I slipped in quietly through the garage using a key that Thomas gave to me. I also grabbed an axe that had the head broke off. I went in and finished the job I was paid to do. How much were you paid by Thomas? Ten large. Excuse me? Ten thousand dollars. So after the crime, the kids went and lived with Kim. 
So Beard and Clayton are still serving out their sentences. And this was a tough one because, you know, we always want to offer something helpful. And I do have a couple things on Mm -hmm. that, but there was nothing. There was more flags after the murder. Yeah, he hid everything really well. Like I told you, I think he was jealous of her. Mm -hmm. I mean, he said he, like... Like she said that he was, she was lazy, Mm -hmm. but maybe, you know, like when you hire someone, your hundred percent is somebody else's hundred percent is 50%. Right. Right. So she might've outshined outshined him. Yeah. I I don't, and the fact that he says she complained all the time, I don't know if she did or not. Um, she didn't seem like that type of personality, but maybe, you know, I mean, she might've been a tough personality and maybe she you know, did complain, but, but she seemed very, very happy. Yes, and I was so did say, he. No relatives knew, no complaints, and women complained. Yes, and he had everyone fooled. But here's the thing I mean, someone always knows if someone's having an affair. So here's what I would say. And, you know, his business partner knew about him. And don't, I would encourage people, don't be silent. Because money and love, air quote love, because I don't think it's true love, I don't. are two of the oldest motives in the world. And I really wish that his business partner would have said something to her. Oh, I, I bet he, I bet he regrets it. I bet he, I mean, wouldn't you? Yes, I would. But I also see that would be a weird situation you would be put in because it's a marital affair. I would be. I would feel so awkward. Like, how do you go and tell someone your husband has been sleeping around this whole time? You'd have to see the broken heart. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they would deny it. Or, and then all of a sudden they're mad at you. If you know they're having an affair, he, he probably didn't think in a million years it would go this far. To murder. To murder. Yeah. So, yeah, he probably just didn't want to be involved. So this is a testimony from a friend and coworker of Kelly. Uh, her name is Abby Tipton. She said on February 22nd, 2016, she received a call from Thomas Clayton who asked how she was doing. Tipton said she replied by asking, if he didn't do it, why would Mike Beard do it? In other words, there's no reason for Michael Beard to kill her. Exactly. She told the jury Clayton responded that Beard had called him that day seeking money. According to Tipton, he said he told Beard he didn't have any money on him, that it was all in his home, and that he wouldn't be home that evening. She said he went on to say that he could have never killed his wife, saying he doted on her and talking about all the money he spent on her. Yeah, but his statement, it isn't. I don't have it on me. It's in my home. Right. I won't be home tonight. And she's telling, and mean, he's telling Abby yeah, this. Yeah, that's uh Tipton said later in the year, she attended a concert in Buffalo and afterward went to a nearby bar with a friend, which was another friend of Kelly's. She said the two found themselves face to face with Thomas Clayton and a group of people with him. While she said she tried to avoid a con- confrontation at one point, Clayton leaned over to her and told her that Kelly had a boyfriend, which was a lie. She pushed him away and avoided him completely after that. So now we also have, in hindsight, where he's trying to set up Beard, right, Mm -hmm. as the one that did it and also smear Kelly's reputation. But money was his motive. 
You can see it everywhere. And he didn't even get that much. So he's like, I've put too much money into her. I've spent too much money on her. There's no way I'd have her killed. Well, yeah, he had to get his return on air quote investment, right? So he increases her life insurance policy to pay him back for all the money that he spent on her. And he had a bag of money in his passport. A poop bird. Poop That's bird. That's putting it mildly. And do you just carry your passport around with $100,000 in it? Right. Ugh. This case is interesting and it's difficult because there were no signs of abuse. He seemed like a loving husband. He was intentional in his attention and affection. But... Again, we do have the business partner. I wish he would have said something. Now, what I've done is I have pulled up a, um, because I was curious, like what type of person he was, because I think he was a narcissist and I discovered the term covert narcissist. I never heard that before. I hadn't either. And so these are the ones that they're narcissists, but they are not as blatant. They're not as overt in their narcissism. And uh, these men, they have like shells, you know, they, they wear a mask and they, you know, they can seem maybe standoffish. They can seem a little bit cold, but the closet narcissist, they are better able to hide. And so they, they do tend, however, to be uh, emotionally damaged and passionless. So I wonder if that was there. Um, and like sex can start out steamy and they do tend to love bomb. They'll do that for right. sure. But then they'll end up making you feel like having sex with them is a favor to you. I like, see that 100%. Yeah, like it's not an exchange between people that love each other. Here's, I wonder if he, uh, how his childhood was. I don't know. Hmm. So here's seven traits of a clinical covert narcissist husband. They will be uh, heavily passive aggressive, okay, where a blatant may feign interest in their woman's desires and stuff. But with these, they don't and like they'll forget their wife's weekend work trip or accident accidentally plan a fishing trip like things that you think are maybe like little forgotten things actually it's a form of punishment so that's important uh also you'll hear terms like he's nice and helpful so people will think that being helpful means he's a good spouse that's true so they'll do it for show when actually there's withering contempt and you know, they, they, they're just doing it. So they look good not to actually be helpful. Um, he's withholding and resentful. Wives are often confused that their covert husbands can be so helpful and then so resentful at the same time. So he won't ask you to do anything for him, but he will resent you for not doing it. And asking for help is loading your gun. So he substitutes superficial niceness in place of genuine honesty and emotional involvement and engagement. Number four is impeccable, hypersensitive, 
sensitivity. They will take offense to criticism, real or imagined. So like you said, maybe he was jealous of her. He called her lazy. He Mm -hmm. would um, smear her reputation. I'm wondering if that was a case because she did seem like a firecracker and she would let know what she thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number five, don't look for outward supreme self-possession. The smugness and superiority is hidden. So you don't see that. With a blatant narcissist, you do. Now, they do crave att- attention and they demand approval. They're very sensitive, but it's harder to spot than someone who is an overt narcissist. They also have utter and complete self-absorption. So it's sometimes easy to confuse a covert narcissist husband with a garden variety introvert. Here's the essential difference. Introverts may be quiet, but they're fully capable of bestowing attention and paying careful attention. They can love freely. They ask good questions. A covert narcissist husband, in contrast, is reliably a poor listener. They want you to listen to them with the full attention. But when you try to talk about them, no. And the final one is vitamin E deficit. All clinical narcissists have a lack of empathy for others and a sense of entitlement. So here you have these kids, his own flesh and blood that he was going to have burn in a fire. One of the worst ways to die alive. I would say that's a vitamin E deficit. Oh, you know, this, this is these seven steps could be so many people Mm -hmm. that you even know. Mm hmm. Where you think they're normal. Yeah. Yeah. So a closet or covert narcissist is not as uh, blatant as a full-on narcissist. But I wanted to give those traits so that people, you know, I don't want anybody to say, oh my gosh, my husband's a narcissist. He's going to kill me. I don't want that. But I do want, if you're dating someone, if you do suspect maybe there's something weird going on in the marriage, just ask questions. It's sort of weird the word they use, covert. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they hide it. Like, talk to their coworkers. Mm-hmm. Talk to their business partners. Talk, you know, like, find out. Um, don't dismiss gut feelings because our mm-hmm. guts are very, very tuned to but what's going on. and family are just human. Mm-hmm. They might not see it either. But if you've got a business partner, to me, you spend more time with coworkers in certain jobs than you do your own family. That's true. And if he is messing around and he feels or she feels more comfortable in a work setting, if there's going to be anywhere it's going to maybe come out, it'll be there. And I would ask questions. That is true. It's just such a shame. It is. So that concludes episode two. What do you think? Crazy, huh? That is crazy. It's interesting, no red flags except before the murder, and not even red flags with her. Yeah, she had no idea. everywhere else. She had no idea. All mistakes. It's crazy. And it makes you wonder when she was being chased through her house in the dark, it makes you wonder, did she ever think it was him? Probably not. No. She probably thought it was a stranger that, you know, entered their home and was killing her. I wonder if she met him. Well, he had done some work around the house, so maybe so. Because I'm sure he went there to kill her. Right. So she, he probably didn't have a mask on. Maybe. I, would I don't know if he did or not. Because when the little girl was so exact on what she saw, well, I would think I she'd Well, I think say, he might have been wearing something because she only saw his eyes. 
That could be because it's dark, but it's true. I think he, she, I had think he was on. wearing a mask, if yeah. I remember the, the story. But yeah, um, he did not want to be seen. So she may not have even known it was Michael Beard if she saw him around sad. working. Very sad. It is. This park was meaningful to all of you growing up, right? Absolutely. Kelly spent a lot of time here in her youth as did I. Kelly would also bring her children here. Forever loved and missed, as bright as the sun, Kelly E. Stage, 8180-929-15. Do you come here much? Yes, when, yes, when I feel I have to. When I feel I have to, it's a, it's a good place. It's something to hold on to. I feel comfort. I bring them here on her birthday. My mommy's yeah, bench. Yeah, mommy's bench. And if someone is sitting here, someone's she's like, someone's sitting. on mommy's bench. Yes. We come here for Mother's Day. We just came here on the anniversary. And as you can see, people leave flowers. And you have something on your actual arm. What does that say? I love you more than words, Kelly. And this is her signature? It, the whole thing is. Yeah, and yes. it came off a birthday card. And it did, it came off of a card to me. And you just look at this and think I do. It. That comforts me. This this comforts me. It does. Because it's her words. Mm -hmm. It's her words. Kelly and I had always wanted to do matching sister tattoos. Unfortunately, ran out of time. So I had logged in to Pinterest and had realized that my sister had sent me a message. And there was a picture of a small infinity sister tattoo. And I thought, that's it. I need, that's what I need to get. So I sent it to a tattoo artist and I also wanted to add her signature from my last birthday card to it. It was much bigger than I had wow. thought. So it's forever sisters and then love always Kelly. And her signature once and again. Yes, it is. And you said when you look at this, you smile. I do smile because when I sat there in the chair after he drew this on me, I thought, wow, that's really big. And I swore I heard my sister say, just do it. And I did. And so every time I look at it, I'm like, wow, that's a really big tattoo. Wow. But she was a really big part of my life. It's a, it's a really good reminder of what used to be. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? <laughs> <laughs>